Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of RH disease found under the obstetric section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 30-year-old G2P1 woman presents to the emergency room with contractions at 37 weeks. She previously had a baby boy via spontaneous vaginal delivery without complications. She had this delivery done in a foreign country, and obstetric records are not available. Her prenatal care has also been limited. On fetal ultrasound, it is noted that the fetus has ascites and soft tissue edema. She is immediately prepared for delivery. Let's continue with an introduction to RH disease. As a general overview, remember that RH hemolytic disease of the newborn is caused by RH incompatibility, and the maternal anti-RH IgG antibodies cross the placenta and destroy fetal RH-positive red blood cells. With regards to epidemiology, remember that 15% of the population is RH negative. Risk factors for RH disease include history of prior blood transfusion, previous pregnancy, a mother who is RH negative and a father who is RH positive are unknown, prior administration of RH IgG, that is Rogam, and a history of invasive obstetric procedures. With regards to the pathogenesis, Remember that the mechanism involves RH factor, which is a red blood cell antigen. When an RH-negative mother is pregnant with an RH-positive fetus, the mother is exposed to RH-positive red blood cells, and this leads to maternal antibody production against the foreign RH antigen. As IgG can cross the placenta, the subsequent pregnancy with RH-positive fetuses will result in fetal alloimmune-induced hemolytic anemia. Then the development of antibody depends on volume of transplacental crossover of red blood cells, with concurrent presence of ABO incompatibility and extent of maternal immune response. Then there is breakdown of red blood cells, which causes elevation of bilirubin. Moving on to the presentation, remember that symptoms will include symptoms of hemolytic anemia, and on physical exam, one may note jaundice and pallor. In terms of other imaging, fetal ultrasound is indicated when there is suspected RH incompatibility, and specific findings may include fetal ascites and edema. Other studies that may be performed include serum labs, which may demonstrate hyperbilirubinemia, low hematocrit, elevated reticulocyte count, and a positive direct Coombs test. A rosette test may also be performed to detect fetal maternal hemorrhage and a kleihauer betke test may also be performed. If the rosette test is positive, then one can conduct this test. Remember that it measures fetal red blood cells in utero in maternal circulation to determine the dose of Rogam necessary. And in terms of the differential, make sure to think about ABO incompatibility with a key distinguishing factor being that it is typically less severe. In terms of treatment, medical options include maternal anti-D immune globulin, which is also called RHIgg or Rogam, This is indicated only if the mother is RH negative and has not been sensitized previously. It is given at the 28th week of pregnancy, if possible, and within 72 hours after birth. It is also indicated in external cephalic version, amniocentesis, and ectopic pregnancy. Another option is exchange transfusion, which is indicated in the case of erythroblastosis fatalis, hydrops fatalis, and kernicterus. And lastly, complications related to RH disease include kernicterus, which is secondary to hyperbilirubinemia. One will see the loss of moral reflex, posturing, poor feeding, and seizures. Another complication is erythroblastosis fatalis, 
Remember that in its most severe cases, it can manifest as hydrops fatalis with high output cardiac failure, edema, and death. Also remember that this is an indication for immediate delivery and exchange transfusion. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to RH disease, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 25-year-old woman, Gravita 2 Para 0 Aborto 1, presents to her obstetrician at 28 weeks gestation for a routine prenatal visit. She does not have any acute complaints and denies any vaginal bleeding, leakage of fluid, or abdominal contractions. Her prior pregnancy was complicated by a missed abortion requiring suction curatage, and she was administered anti-D immunoglobulin. Her current pregnancy is with a new partner. She is otherwise healthy and only takes prenatal vitamins. She denies any smoking or illicit drug use or alcohol use. Physical exam is notable for a fundal height at 30 centimeters. The fetal heart rate is noted to be 140 beats per minute. Routine serum studies are notable for an RHD negative blood type and negative anti-D antibodies. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, administer anti-D immunoglobulin now. Choice two, administer anti-D immunoglobulin now, postpartum, and one week later. Choice three, administer anti-D immunoglobulin postpartum. Choice four, no intervention needed. Choice five, recheck anti-D antibody levels at 34 weeks gestation. The best answer to this question is, choice three, administer anti-D immunoglobulin postpartum. This patient with an RHD negative blood type and a negative anti-D antibodies requires anti-D immunoglobulins within 72 hours after giving birth. RHD alloimmunization in pregnancy results from an RHD negative mother being exposed to an RHD positive red blood cells. Patients can be exposed to RHD positive red blood cells during transplacental fetal maternal bleeding, such as birth, abortion, ectopic pregnancy, and chorionic villa sampling, needle injection with RHD positive blood, blood transfusion with RHD positive blood, and demismatched allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. After exposure, the mother will develop anti-D IgG antibodies, which can cross the placenta, opsonize fetal red blood cells, and subsequently become phagocytosed in the fetal spleen. The fetus is at risk of developing hemolytic disease of the newborn and hydrops fatalis. To prevent this from occurring, RHD-negative and anti-D antibody-negative mothers receive 300 micrograms of anti-D immunoglobulins within 72 hours of giving birth to decrease the risk of alloimmunization. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Administering anti-D immunoglobulin now is not appropriate because the patient is at significantly increased risk of being exposed to RHD-positive RBCs during the birth of her child. For this reason, patients are also administered anti-D immunoglobulin postpartum. Choice 2. Administer anti-D immunoglobulin now, postpartum, and one week later would be excessive and is not the guideline for anti-D immunoglobulin administration. Choice 4. No intervention needed is not appropriate since we do not know the RHD status of the fetus or the father, and the mother has an RHD negative blood type and is anti-D antibody negative. This significantly places the mother at risk of undergoing alloimmunization, causing significant morbidity and mortality to her future pregnancies. Choice 5. 
Rechecking anti-D antibody levels at 34 weeks gestation is not appropriate since anti-D immunoglobulins are indicated now during this prenatal visit and less than 72 hours postpartum. Finally, a bullet summary. Patients who are RHD negative blood type and anti-D antibody negative should receive prophylactic anti-D immunoglobulin at 28 weeks gestation and within 72 hours of giving birth. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 31-year-old G2P1001 presents to the labor floor for external cephalic version due to breach presentation at 37 weeks gestation. Her pregnancy has been complicated by an episode of pyelonephritis at 14 weeks gestation, treated with intravenous ceftriaxone. The patient has not had urinary symptoms since that time. Otherwise, her prenatal care has been routine, and she tested RH negative with negative antibodies at her first prenatal visit. She has a history of one prior spontaneous vaginal delivery without complications. She also has a medical history of anemia. Current medications include nitrofurantoin for urinary tract infection, suppression, and iron supplementation. The patient's temperature is 98.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.9 degrees Celsius. Pulse is 75 beats per minute. Blood pressure is 122 over 76, and respirations are 13 breaths per minute. Physical exam is notable for a fundal height of 37 centimeters and mild pitting edema in both lower extremities. Cardiopulmonary exams are unremarkable. Bedside ultrasound confirms that the fetus is still in breech presentation. Which of the following should be performed in this patient as a result of her upcoming external cephalic version? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Complete blood count Choice 2. Urinalysis Choice 3. Fibrinogen level Choice 4. Urine protein to creatinine ratio or Choice 5. Rogam administration The best answer to this question is choice 5, Rogam administration. This patient's fetus is in breech presentation, requiring an external cephalic version. Because ECV can cause small amounts of fetal blood to enter maternal circulation, administration of Rogam is important for preventing RH alloimmunization. Mothers who do not have the RH antigen may develop alloimmunization in a subsequent pregnancy if exposed to the antigen during a prior pregnancy. They will then produce anti-RH antibodies that destroy the fetal red blood cells and cause life-threatening anemia in the fetus. This is preventable by administering Rogam when there is a possibility of exposure to fetal blood, such as an ECV, ectopic pregnancy, delivery, abdominal trauma, etc. Routine administration of Rogam is also recommended for all RH-negative women at 28 to 32 weeks gestation. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Complete blood count could provide helpful information on this patient's anemia, but this lab test is not immediately indicated in the setting of her ECV. There is little risk of major bleeding with ECV, making a CBC unnecessary. Choice 2. Urinalysis is useful for identifying urinary tract infections, which are more common in pregnancy. Although this patient does have a history of pyelonephritis, she does not have urinary symptoms and is appropriately on nitrofurantoin suppression. Urinalysis is therefore not indicated. Choice 3. Fibrinogen is low in cases of placental abruption. Although ECV is associated with a slightly increased risk of placental abruption, it is not necessary to test preemptively for fibrinogen. Choice 4. 
Urine protein to creatinine ratio is an indicator of proteinuria, which can be used instead of 24-hour urine collection. This test would be useful if preeclampsia were suspected. This patient's mild pitting edema is physiologic in pregnancy and should not raise suspicion of preeclampsia. Finally, a bullet summary. Rogam should be given to Rh-negative women exposed to external cephalic version, delivery, ectopic pregnancy, molar pregnancy, chorionic villus sampling, amniocentesis, or trauma, all of which may expose the mother to small amounts of fetal blood. That's all for this review about Rh disease. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.